Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 481 for the 21st of February, 2016. This week, a story of criminal and political intrigue as attempts are made to destroy RIT Labs, developer of the popular email program, The Bat. In short circuits, I'll show you a picture of an amazing spam with a link that shouldn't be clicked by anyone, but probably will be by some. How to avoid having to enter long and complex passwords whenever you log on to a Windows 10 system. The average age of hackers these days is 17. Is your teen among them? Apple says it will not comply with a court order. And in spare parts, only on the website, Bluehost updates 2 million WordPress sites, then offers the update script to everyone, including competitors. Warnings about malware called Red Sheriff and a review of the 2016 Golden Mousetrap Awards. Normally, TechBiter Worldwide doesn't report on legal and political issues because legal reporting is a highly specialized undertaking. However, a case involving the company that developed an email program called The Bat in 1998 came to my attention, and it's a story I'd like to share with you. There are two players with similar names, RIT Labs SRL, that's the original company, it's located in Moldova, RIT Labs Inc., that was founded in the United States by one of the three people who founded the original company, apparently without any knowledge of the other founders. Late in 2015, the developer of email program The Bat, RIT Labs, filed a complaint with the European Court of Human Rights asking that authorities in Moldova be ordered to enforce judgments from a U.S. court in favor of the company and to stop what the complaint calls unlawful harassment of RIT Labs by Moldovan prosecutors. There's, as you might suspect, a long story behind this. Let's start with some history. I first encountered the bat in about 1999. At that time, there were a lot of email client programs. For example, Eudora Pine and Elm were still active. Calypso had a good following. Outlook, of course. Pegasus and Forte Agent handled both email and newsgroup protocols. Except for the bat and Outlook, most of these applications no longer exist. Over the years, the bat earned a loyal following. There have been many political and economic changes since 1998 when the company was formed. Moldova was a Soviet republic, and it's located between Ukraine and Romania, north of the Black Sea. There's a map on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In 1998, Maxim Masutin, Stefan Tanyukov, and Sergei Demsenko formed the company. Masutin and Tanyukov, each with a 30% share in the company, Demsenko with 40%. Demsenko was a director until late in 2011 when he was removed. According to court records I have reviewed from the U.S. District Court for the Eastern Division of Virginia, 
The Moldovan company accused Demchenko of establishing a shell company in the United States, illegally obtaining Ritlabs.com domain name and siphoning off funds from operation of the U.S. company. Of the eight claims in the suit, the United States District Court for the Eastern Division of Virginia ruled for the plaintiff on five in August of 2012. In November of 2012, U.S. District Judge Anthony J. Trenga signed a court order formalizing the judgment and awarding the plaintiffs a little over $108,000. Since then, things have gotten just a little strange. Dubzhenko left the United States and returned to Moldova. Ritlab's SRL, that's the Moldovan company, asked courts in Moldova to enforce the U.S. ruling. The courts in Moldova refused, and police opened a criminal investigation, not into Dmsenko's actions, but into the remaining directors of Rit Labs. On September 14, 2015, police searched the company's offices and seized computer hardware. On December 4th, the judge who authorized the police search blocked the company's bank accounts. Rit Labs director Maximus Huden says the company filed an appeal on December 8th and the appeals chamber ordered that the company's bank accounts be released. No written order was provided, though, so the bank could not release any funds at that time. Masutin says the company has finally recovered access to its ritlabs.com domain name, but it is still being squeezed by Moldovan authorities. Masutin has reached out to users of the software for help. U.S. citizens could help by contacting Senate members particularly those on the U.S. Commerce Committee, and asking that they contact the Moldovan Embassy in Washington to request that Moldovan authorities recognize due process rights. The best thing is that, uh, for example, in the United States, there is a Senate and a Congress. And uh, I don't know how it works in the United States, but, for example, in the United Kingdom, um, the people can contact the members of parliament and the member of parliament can send diplomatic letter to the embassy of Moldova asking to uh, respect uh, rule of law and due process rights and the embassy forwards it uh, to Moldova and um, to general prosecutors and so on and uh, if they think that there is uh, international pressure they will treat us fairly I don't know why they have uh, refused to domesticate the judgment of the United States uh, court. We have provided many expert opinions and the opinions of so different evidences, but uh, the Moldovan court even didn't uh, analyze them and didn't write that they are not uh, applicable for this case, for example. Do you think you have any hope of uh, of having the the judgment for uh, something over $108,000 that you'll ever gain access to the to those funds? Uh, I think yes, but uh, these funds are not the real issue for us. Uh, for us, uh, the domestic by domestication, we mainly want to to make Moldova acknowledge the facts laid down in the U.S. judgment, uh, not the money, because the money is uh, something that can be earned, but uh, the facts are important. So the the key thing then is uh, mainly regaining control of the company, uh, regaining full control of the company. Yes, yes. That's Maxim Masutin, director of RIT Labs in Moldova.
And by the way, the U.S. District Court's memorandum opinion is available online. If you'd like to take a look at it, there's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week, www.techbiter.com. If you use the bat, or if you're just somebody who believes that someone who has been found guilty of attempting to harm his former company should not be allowed to continue to do so, reaching out to members of the Senate Commerce Committee, or to your state's senators, even if they're not on the Commerce Committee, would be welcome. Stefan Tanyurkov says Dimchenko is attempting to generate various criminal cases because he wants to simply destroy RIT Labs as a company. Both Masutin and Tanyurkov say that they believe any cases against them will not stand because they're rubbish. But, says Tanyurkov, when it comes to a company, it becomes easy to break a company's workflow. This is why we're asking for your help. When I spoke with Maxim Masutin via Skype this week, we also talked about the company's history as a small organization that has succeeded by developing an email application that they would want to use themselves. We also addressed security and privacy on the Internet. The bat has always treated security as a top priority. When you use, for example, Skype or Telephone or any application, either there is one server which can be monitored, but with email, if you want really secure communication, you can create your own server, physical server for your mail domain, and someone else can also make his own server, and these servers will communicate with each other via encrypted connections, and uh, no one will be able to monitor your mail. Some people, mostly in Russia and in Germany, they understand this benefit, and uh, our customer base is mainly for those who want uh, security and their email access, and to not have their email to be monitored by a third party or, or by authorities. Maxim Masutin, director of RIT Labs SRL in Moldova. And if you'd like to contact one of the senators involved on the Commerce Committee, there's a list of them on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Vlad Turkanu, who's the press secretary to the president of Moldova, was offered an opportunity to comment on this issue or to provide a government contact who could comment on the issue. No response has been received. In short circuits, my wife posted a message to Facebook this week warning about a phony JetBlue promotion. A Facebook page claiming to be JetBlue Airways was offering to give free flights for an entire year to 800 of our lucky fans. Really? The old joke goes something like this. Did you hear they took gullible out of the dictionary? I really don't understand how people can fall for phony offers such as this, but the page garnered more than 45,000 likes before Facebook shut it down. I've also seen offers for 30% or more off your entire order at big box stores. Click a link with an offer like that, and what you get won't be pleasant. Liking the phony JetBlue page, for example, prompts users to invite their friends to like the page, too. A JetBlue spokesman said the promotion is not real. Wow, what a surprise and encouraged people to report suspect pages or promotions through Facebook's reporting tools instead of sharing them. 
Oh, on the same day, I received a message, an email message from a Yahoo account. It said, Colin Fay shared this with you. Ariel just sent you $3,639 with PayPal. Isabel just sent you $1,216 with PayPal. Read the full story. Should I click that link? Well, the short answer is no. The slightly longer answer is hell no. Microsoft would like you to associate your Windows account with an Outlook account, and there are good reasons to do this, but it can be a bit of a pain. After all, you want the Outlook account to have a strong password, and having to type that strong password whenever you log into your computer is a problem. It's particularly a problem for those who use tablets and other mobile devices. That's not the only option, though. You can log in with your face or with a four-digit PIN, this is a PIN, by the way, not a PIN number. The N in PIN stands for number, so PIN number is really saying personal identification number number. Compare this to DMZ Zone, which would be the demilitarized zone zone, or Rio Grande River, Big River River, or the La Brea Tar Pits, the the Tar Tar Pits. Well, anyway, to set up the PIN, start at Settings, click Accounts, and then select Sign-in Options. The PIN option will be right there. You'll be asked for your password first, then enter the PIN twice. Although the default option for a PIN is four digits, you can create a longer one if you'd like. That would be a good idea. Just don't use something obvious like your birthday or your street address. And if you want to use your face to log in, you'll need to be using a computer that has a camera, of course. You'll see that option on the sign-in options screen, too. After creating a PIN or a Hello Login. Hello Login is what Microsoft calls the face recognition authentication. You can switch back at any time to your long and secure password by clicking Sign In Options on the Accounts screen. Kaspersky Labs suggests that parents question their teens' online habits to see if they have perhaps raised a hacker. I still don't like using the term hacker to describe a miscreant. Hackers have a long and honorable history. It's crackers that you need to watch out for. But the term hackers has been prostituted to mean anybody who does bad things with code. I still don't like it, but apparently that's the term we use now. Research by Kaspersky Lab reveals that 12% of 16 to 19-year-olds know somebody who has engaged in online activity that could be deemed illegal. The poll was conducted in the UK, but results in the US would probably be similar. 35% of respondents said that they would be impressed if a friend hacked a bank's website and replaced the homepage with a cartoon. About 10% said that they would be impressed if a friend hacked the air traffic control system of a local airport. The average age of a cybercriminal is now 17 years old. There's nothing new in teenagers being rebellious and pushing boundaries, 
But what is new is that they are unwittingly involving themselves in far more serious threats and dangers that lurk in the world of cybercrime. Dimitros Trevikos, consumer and business psychologist at University College London, says rebellion, curiosity, and an urge to demonstrate their independence are natural characteristics of the age group. As the first truly digital native generation, he says, rebelling has simply become another aspect of their lives that can go digital. Cybercrimes represent an attack on the system, he says, and allow individuals to express their teen angst. Kaspersky Lab's principal researcher, David M., says that special browsers required to gain access to what's called the dark web are freely available online, and discussion groups used by cyber criminals are often open to outsiders. He says that young people exploring, experimenting, or taking their first steps toward making some easy money online can very easily find these sites. Once in, he says, they're vulnerable to exploitation for more complex schemes, possibly being drawn into fraudulent activity by playing the role of a money mule or being asked to create a malicious program. The research shows that about 95% of teens understand cyberbullying, 82% trolling. Surprisingly, less than half, just 41%, know about malware or phishing at 44%, and even fewer, just 24%, know about distributed denial-of-service attacks. The survey asked what a respondent would do if a friend was doing things online that could be illegal and found that most teens don't know what the right thing to do is. About half would tell their friend to stop, but they wouldn't do anything else. Nearly a quarter would ask for details, but not get involved. And about a quarter would report the issue to a teacher or parent. Just over 20% say they would report illegal activity to police. Speaking of illegal activity, Apple says it will not create a backdoor that would allow police and prosecutors to decrypt information on Apple phones. A court order this week demanded that Apple develop a way for investigators to read information on the phone of the man who, with his wife, killed 14 people and injured 22 others in California. Apple CEO Tim Cook says the order would require Apple software engineers to create the equivalent of a backdoor that could be used against any iOS device. He says he's not going to do that. Investigators say the court order is narrow and addresses just one iPhone. The order would require that Apple create a special version of iOS that would run only on the iPhone 5C that belonged to Syed Rizwan Farouk. Farouk and his wife, Tashfeen Malik staged an attack in San Bernardino. The FBI wants access to any information on the phone. Sounds reasonable. The phone is locked, though, and the FBI has been unable to break the encryption so far. Apple's built-in security limits the number of guesses investigators can make in an attempt to unlock the phone, and after receiving a certain number of incorrect passwords, the phone might automatically delete all data. The Justice Department says it wants a special version of iOS that would eliminate the restrictions so that password attempts could be entered more quickly and so that the phone would not automatically destroy any saved information. 
The court order also requires that the phone be able to accept personal identification numbers via Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. The court ordered that the software would work only on Farouk's phone. All of that seems very reasonable, particularly because Farouk is now dead. The problem is that something created to run on one phone could undoubtedly be modified to run on some other iOS device, or all other iOS devices. And that's why Apple's CEO is opposed. Once the genie is out of the bottle, what's to keep governments in China or Russia from requiring access to the technology? In other words, the court order seems to be badly written and based on a request by people who don't really understand technology. Had the court order been written in a way that would have required Apple software engineers to find a way to extract data from this one phone and then turn it over to investigators, it's more likely that Apple CEO Tim Cook would have gone along with it. Perhaps the Justice Department should revisit the issue. You can visit Spare Parts only on the website. This week, Bluehost updates 2 million WordPress sites, then offers the update script to everybody, including competitors. Some warnings about malware called Red Sheriff, and a review of the 2016 Golden Mousetrap Awards. No cats are involved. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.